At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Good Morning, as we learn from the cries of Israel recorded in the book of Lamentations. Together, we'll discover the depth of God's love for us, even in seasons of suffering, and learn to take our sorrows to the Savior. I am super excited to be here with you, just so you guys know, Jim's doing well in my basement. Um, He's still living there. I don't know... uh, I don't know how long, but uh, he's living the dream. I think he's sitting in my pool this morning, maybe. Um, but anyway, no, we, uh, we love having them living with us, and uh, we're just praying that um, they have an incredible sabbatical and time of rest. But uh, this last week, as I dove into this text and looking at Lamentations, even in the last month, um, man, I got to tell you, this is like completely like foreign to me. It's completely rocked my world. Um, walking through this text, and I, I kind of have gotten to a place, even in the last week, uh, Alex is sick of me going into his office because I'm constantly talking to him about this and saying, man, I don't understand certain things about God. I don't understand why God would let things like this happen to people, to innocent people. And even me, in my humanity, I'm literally contemplating, like, what is going on here? And I'm trying to figure out, man, why would God do this? Why would God do things that we see in our life? And I was um, going through and studying. I've I've read more books this week than I've ever read in my life, I think. Um, But I was listening to a message by um, Mark Vrogop. And, uh, man, he nailed it on the head for me. And and I'm going to steal some of the stuff he has right now, but... Um, he, he, he referenced a book by Tim Keller, and it's called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And so I immediately went on to um, audiobooks because that's the easiest way for me to read. Um, I just literally fly through them, set them at one and a half, and uh, you go through them pretty quick. So I'm like, I got to pound through this book in like three days. Uh, I'm preaching in three days. I got to get through this book. So I'm like rolling through this book, right? I got to understand what he's saying here. And so I rolled through this book, and and I I love what it said. It's such a great book if you ever have a chance to read it. And uh, Mark starts out his sermon like this, and and I want to take you to this. When you're in the midst of suffering, you have to do two things. This is what Tim's saying. When you're in the midst of suffering, you have to do two things. You have to know your heart, and you have to think correctly. You have to know your heart and think correctly. He says this. We must be disciplined in our thinking. You must meditate on the truth and gain the perspective that comes from remembering all God has done for you and is going to do. You should also do self-communion. This is both listening to your heart and also reasoning and talking to your heart. It means saying, why are you, ca- why are you cast down, O oh my soul? Forget not his benefits, his salvation. This is not forcing yourself to feel in a certain way, but rather directing your thoughts until your heart, sooner or later, is engaged. Much of the thinking and self-communing that we must do has to do with Christian hope. Heaven and the resurrection and the future perfect world are particularly important to to, uh, meditate on if you are dealing with death, your own or someone else's, but it is crucial in all suffering. What he's saying here is that in the midst of suffering, it is super important for us to recognize our thinking and our theology. 
It's super important for us to recognize our thinking and our theology. So we are in the midst of suffering when things fall apart and you don't understand what's going on, what is anchoring you, what is grounding you to what you believe. I took my kids out fishing a few weeks ago and um, we were in this little paddle boat up north at our cottage and it was barely windy, right? But the boat was just moving. And we're casting, and pretty soon we're by somebody's dock, and I have to go back out. And finally I'm like, Ella, put the anchor down. So she throws this anchor in, you know, with all her might. She throws this anchor in, and it sinks to the bottom. And what does that do? It holds us in a certain area so that we can stay in that area, and so that the wind doesn't push us. In the same way, when the storms of life come, where are we anchored? What are we anchored in? Are we anchored in the truth of the gospel? Where is your theology? That's why we put so much emphasis on how much are you in the word? What are you doing to study God's word? How much are you putting into your head and your heart? If we're constantly filling our head and our heart with the gospel, with, with um, the word of God, and we're constantly studying the book, then man, when those trials, when those sufferings, when, when things come along that we don't understand, we are grounded in that truth. We are anchored in the gospel. Amen. We're anchored in the word of God. And so what he's saying is it's in the midst of suffering. It's super important for us to recognize our thinking and our theology. What we or you believe about God becomes tested when we walk through suffering in hard times. Isn't that true? When we walk through something tough, it tests us, doesn't it? It tests what we believe about ourselves. It tests what we believe about God. It tests what we believe about the world. And it walks us through this testing period. And I love how Mark puts it here. He says this, When suffering and pain come, it causes us to have questions. And it tests us on what we really believe. You pour out your heart and then you anchor it in the truth that God is good. I could end right there. I know Alex told you guys last week, he's like, you know, never go up to somebody and say God is good, but I disagree with him a little bit on that. Because God is good, right? Obviously, when somebody's going through suffering, you just don't want to go up and say, hey, God, God, God's good. But God is good, isn't he? Yeah. So it anchors us in the truth that God is good. It's very easy for us to say I'm doing good, right? When we're not. When somebody comes up to us and says, hey, how you doing? You're walking through something. You just don't want to deal with it. So you're like, hey, I'm doing good. But when is that not enough? When is it not good enough for us to say I'm doing good? How can we experience fruitful or good morning lamenting through this process? We're in this series called Good Morning. And God obviously loves us enough that he gave us an example of what it means to, to lament or how to lament in tragedies we face, uh, leading his own people through different sorrows and using that experience and all the experiences they went through to knit their hearts with his. And we are walking through the series um, of Lamentations, the, the book that maybe is overlooked a lot of times. We kind of pass through and just jump over it in the Old Testament. And as we study this book, we're kind of given this uncomfortable feeling or um, uncomfortable access to what the, the people of Jerusalem were going through uh, when the Babylonian army came in and they hauled them off into exile and the city was completely a waste. It was, it was completely tore down. It's just burning. They had lost everything. The loss was horrific. 
and through the five chapters of this poem, perhaps written by Jeremiah, um, we discovered a, a powerful and important spiritual discipline that we today are pretty much unfamiliar with, I would say. And that's the practice of lament. I know for me, I, I don't do lamenting well. I don't lament with others well. I don't lament well. I literally hold things inside and I say, man, I'm just going to get through this on my own. Or when I see other people lamenting, I'm the type of person that's like, ah, get up, you know, brush it off and let's go. Um, when my kid gets hurt in soccer or something, she could be really hurt. And I'm just like, get up. You're fine. Just keep going, right? When people are sad or something, I'm not the, the most um, merciful or, um, you know, loving person, my wife will tell you. Um, but I just don't lament well. It's not a gift of mine. I don't understand it in a way. And so I'm learning just with you guys exactly what this means to lament. And if you've been, uh, if you're unfamiliar with this, if you haven't been around, um, we went through and we defined it as this. Lament is expressing grief in an honest way to God and choosing to trust in the midst of our sorrow. Expressing grief in an honest way to God and choosing to trust in the midst of our sorrow. Last week, we saw one of the most spectacular statements in the entire Bible, verses 21 through 22, says this, This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Great is your faithfulness. In the face of our affliction, as we remember our God, we have hope, right? We can hope. When we remember our God, when we go back to where we're rooted and where we're grounded, and so our first point today is remember the heart of God. We have to remember the heart of God. Lamentations 3.25, if you have your Bibles, open them there. Lamentations chapter 3, starting verse 25, it says this, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Jump down to 30, 31, For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he ca uh, caused grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. We've walked through two and a half chapters looking at the horrible suffering that Jerusalem was going through and had experienced. And the city was in complete ruin. Um, and Jeremiah says this, he says that God is good. Now how can somebody who's going through this horrible experience, say that God is good. He says that God is good to those who, see, who are seeking and waiting for God. Literally, he says waiting's good. We're going to get to that in a little bit. But Lamentations 26 says, It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. He also says this, that it is worthwhile to be shaped by God's goodness in our hardships, from the earliest season of our life, that, that way our, our decades of living have the benefit of faithful uh, fueled lament. In verse 27, it is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Now, why would he say that? Man, if you're, you're young here and you're going through a hard time, you need to count that as a blessing because that is going to take you through the rest of your life. When you power through something like that, when you deal with something when in your youth, that is something that will carry you for decades. And as you go through life and more suffering comes, you're going to have experience in that. 
and understanding, understanding what it means to lament, understanding what it means to suffer. He also says that in the face of, our, of the grief and suffering, sorrow will not be forever, for the Lord will not cast off forever. He says that God would uh, again show compassion and the affliction wasn't uh, what his heart truly wanted. Verse 32 and 33. And what he's showing us through this chapter is a greater understanding of the purpose and desire of God. A greater understanding and, uh, of the purpose and, and desire that God has for his creation. For you, for me. When we understand that, when we understand uh, the purpose that God has for us, it can turn our sorrows into, into su- or our sorrows and our suffering into uh, meaningful moments. Because let's not lie, life can be hard, right? Life can be hard. As children of God, it's natural to wonder, where is God? And for many of us today, we're, we might be going through that and we're like, where is God? Uh, how can God be both good and powerful and yet still allow this to happen? This is where I was last week. I started questioning, and I'm saying, okay, I understand, God. You had to punish Jerusalem for what they did. But what about this child who has cancer? Why? And I wrestle with that. And many of you are wrestling with these questions, and it's okay to question God. Where is God? How can God be both good and powerful and yet still allow this to happen? Let's be honest, when life becomes difficult or complicated, it's really hard to remember the heart of God, isn't it? When we see the crumbling of life, when we see um, everything around us crumbling down, everything going sideways, it's easy to not have hope. Why? Because it's the only thing we see in front of us. It's what we see in front of us. When we see our city completely ruined, when, when God says, okay, I'm going to take everything from you, that's what we see in front of us, right? So that's what we're focused on. That's what we feel in that moment. I want to go back to verse 20 from last week where Jeremiah says this, my soul continually remembers, continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, that therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Uh, They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will have hope in him. What is he doing right here? It says, but this I call to mind. He is literally He is pushing his heart to remember the truth despite what he sees with his eyes. Right? It goes back to that anchor. What are we anchored in? Because when all we see in front of us, all we see is, is complete destruction and our life is falling apart. That's what we see. We have to literally back up and push our heart and our mind into knowing what we actually know to be true. Mark says it this way, you live through suffering by what you believe and not by what you see or feel. Not by what you see or feel. You live by what you believe. When we're going through hard times, it really tests what we actually believe. 
And for some of us out here today, you might say, I don't even have a relationship with God. And today, that's the pivot for you. In order to understand lament, you actually have to have a relationship with God. You have to have to understand who he is in your life in order to lament. And so today, maybe that's for you. That's the decision you need to make. You need to push your heart and say, you know what? God's been prodding me, and I need to come to know him as my Savior and, and accept that free gift of salvation. And that's where you're at today. Jeremiah had been slaughtered and carried away as prisoners, or Jerusalem, sorry, not Jeremiah. Jerusalem, if he was slaughtered, he wouldn't have been able to write this. Jerusalem had been slaughtered and carried away uh, as prisoners, as a nation. They were guilty of idolatry and sin. Jeremiah 2.13 says, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. But it's hard for me when I study this. It's hard for me to understand or to think through and to believe that everyone in Jerusalem was guilty. I mean, you think about this. You had kids. You had unborn babies. Would they be guilty? You had the faithful few, including Jeremiah, that they all had to be asking questions. They all wanted answers, right? They all had to be asking these questions. Why, God? And in searching for the, that answer, what was realized is that God preferred, God's preferred intention from creation and his desired heart for their present was for good. One theologian says it this way, God gets no pleasure from inflicting pain on people. His judgments are not the way he wants to relate to humanity, but are his response to human sin. In mourning evil, we must all, or we must call to mind that the heart of God is for good, driven by love, out of his holiness and justice, ultimately guiding us towards ultimate joy himself. We see the heart of God on display throughout the, the story of humanity. If you think back um, in the Old Testament to the story of Joseph's life, right? And it's a perfect illustration of God during the, the very worst of life circumstances. Remember the story of Joseph uh, having been bullied, abused, rejected by his family, uh, sold into slavery, falsely imprisoned and forgotten? Joseph was able to see and remember the heart of God. He says this, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Genesis 50, 20. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Genesis 45, 5. And then we look at the, the prophet Micah. Saw the coming destruction of Jerusalem. And yet could still know the heart of God in this way. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquities and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. When my sin or the sin of the community or the sin of the world causes suffering in life's, it's life-giving to know that we can go to God with gut-wrenching sobs and lament. 
And God's heart is rooted in a steadfast, faithful love. And when we feel like life is completely out and we have no clue what's happening, we have to remember the heart of God. To lament, we must call to mind the heart of God in a present or in a presence of our deepest tragedies. And the author um, continues uh, his prayer and, and instructs our own as well. He says this also, we, we need to carry your cry to the Lord. So not only do we need to remember the heart, we also need to carry the cry to the Lord. Lamentations 3.55 through 63 says this, I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. You have taken up my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. You have seen the wrong done to me. O Lord, judge my cause. You have seen all their vengeance, all their plots against me. You have heard their taunts. O Lord, all their plots against me. The lips and thoughts of my assailants are against me all the day long. Behold, they're sitting and they're rising. I am the object of their taunts. The poet had written excessively about all the sorrow and hurt he and his people had faced. And stating in verse 49, he said, My eyes will flow without ceasing, without, or without respite, until the Lord from heaven looks down and sees. And then he makes a complete switch and transition here. He pivots at, this, at his lowest point. At his lowest point, he makes this pivot. He cries out to God and he says, I called on your name. Oh, Lord, from the depths of the pit. And for some of us today, we're in that position. This is exactly where you need to be and what you need to do. And you need to cry out from the depths of the pit and the pit that you're in. And I want to tell you today that God will meet you there. We don't have to do anything to get perfect. When you're in the pit, God says, I will come down and I will meet you there. All you need to do is call out to me, cry out to me, and I'll meet you there. Why? Because he's been there. He's been there himself when he died on the cross for us. And so when you're in that pit, when you're at the lowest of low, you need to cry out to God. And Jeremiah was speaking for himself as an individual, but also for the city of Jerusalem. And he turns to God, who, who probably seemed pretty far away at this point, right? God probably seemed pretty far away, or, or he seemed uncaring, unmerciful. Speaks. There we go. Wow. God speaks. Now that was good. Jordan, i gotta, I got to tip you after this. But he may have felt abandoned. They may have felt abandoned in this moment. Jeremiah was probably like, man, where are you, God? And we see that God speaks the only time in this book that was recorded, in this entire book, he speaks. And what does he say? He says, do not fear. Do not fear. He's far from ignoring. God hears. Not at all distant, God comes near. The opposite of abandoning, God takes up the cause. 
the very farthest from, uh, thing from being blind to their agony, God has seen. To lament is to remember the heart of God. And in the very moment where you think it's all over, nothing's going right, I can't do this, you turn to God and you carry your cry to him. Psalm 77, 2 says this, reminds us uh, of this need. It isn't only for our moments of victory where we turn to God or cry to God um, that we seek God. But it says this, in the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. You may have heard or know of Corey Ten Boom, who in the World War II German uh, concentration camp recounts a time she and her sister carried a cry to God in the face of, of many horrors. And, and it says this, in their barracks, they were shown to a series of massive square platforms stacked three levels high and placed so close together that people had to walk single file to pass between them. Rancid straw was scattered over the platforms, which served as communal beds for hundreds of women. Corey and Betsy found, them, uh, found they could not sit upright in their own platform without hitting their heads on the deck above them. They lay back, struggling against nausea that swept over them from the reeking straw. Suddenly, Corey sat up, uh, striking her head on the cross slat above. Something had bitten her leg. A flea! She cried. Betsy, the place is swarming with them. Descending from the platform and edging down a, a narrow aisle, they made their way to, the, to a patch of light. Here, and another one here, Corey wailed. Betsy, how can we live in such a place? Show us. Show us how, Betsy said matter-of-factly. It took Corey a moment to realize that her sister was praying. Corey, Betsy then excitedly said, he's given us the answer before we asked, as he always does. In the Bible this morning, there was, there was, uh, where was it? Read that part again. Corey checked to make sure no guard was uh, nearby, then drew from a pouch a small Bible she had managed to smuggle into the concentration camp. It was in 1 Thessalonians, she said, finding the passage in a feeble light. And 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 through 18 says this, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idols, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you ripped from their family, held captive in one of the worst engineered uh, atrocities of all time, facing every discomfort. Betsy and Corey Tenboom cried. They carried their cry to God. They cried out to him. And for some of us today, we are in that discomfort. And we need to get to that point where we actually realize, hey, we need to cry out to God. We need to talk to him. Let's be a family that chooses to call on God, to turn to him, carrying our fears and sorrows alike. And here's the truth. If we don't do that, what are we saying to God? 
If, if we don't carry our cries and, and we don't do that, what are we actually saying to God? That he's not good enough, right? That he can't handle it. That we don't need him. That we can try and get through this ourselves. We're revealing that we don't think he is in control anymore. And that he can't be trusted with this pain. Bringing our cries to God is an act of purposeful faith, right? It's an act of purposeful faith. It's a choice when we're at our lowest to call on the heart of God and depend on him. Isn't that faith? Isn't that the natural thing for our souls to do as we walk through life? If we're a believer of Christ, we've already known what God did on the cross, right? He sent his son to die on the cross, solving the greatest problem of all time. And so we have faith and so why do we struggle so much to actually cry out to him? Having trusted in God means we've actually given it to him to solve our problems. And we have to continue to depend on him and turn to him to carry our aches and pains. We turn to God knowing for certain that he can be trusted. So point number three, we wait on the Lord to carry our or to carry out justice. Lamentations 3.26 says this, It is good that one should, not, or one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. 64 through 66, You will repay them, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. You will give them dullness of heart. Your curse will be upon them. You will pursue them in anger and destroy them from under your heavens, O Lord. He's speaking to both those who are attacking his reputation as God's prophet, and also uh, those attacking the city of Jerusalem alike. The poet says, God, you will repay them. You will pursue them and destroy them. I will wait on you to make everything right, because you will. This echoes the way we began in verse 26, right? It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Psalm 62.1 says, For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. We learn that waiting is good. Nobody likes to wait, right? How many of you guys actually enjoy waiting? I don't think so. I absolutely can't stand it. I, I drive down and I want to go to Starbucks, right? I come down 24 in the morning, and, and there's a line out to the road. And I'm like, there ain't no chance I'm getting in that. I don't care how quick you are. I go to Disney World with my kids, and you stand in line, and you're just like, oh my gosh, we moved an inch. Oh, there's another inch. An hour and a half later, you meet Cinderella, and all you do is take a five-second photo with her, and you're on to the next princess. And I'm like, wait a minute. We just waited an hour and a half to take a picture of a fake Cinderella? Sorry, wait, are there kids? Hold up. Yep. Of Cinderella. <laughs> Did not know there was little kids in here. Sorry, Mike. <clears throat> but no, nobody likes to wait. We aren't, it's not built into us. We don't want to wait. We want answers, right? When we're going through difficult times, we want answers from God. We want to know, God, why are we going through this? Where are you? Where are you taking me? What do you want to teach me? I need to know the answers, God. And when we don't have answers, what does that make us do? Make us worry? Makes us understand that we're not in control? This is something that I had to wrestle with. 
this week that I'm not in control. That when life gets hard and you don't understand it, you're not in control. If God was to wipe everything away tomorrow and all you had is God, is that enough? Or do you need to be in control? Because it's really hard when we don't have answers. And it's really hard sometimes to wait on God and say, God, you're in control. You can do this. You're going to do this. And I'm going to be okay. Even though I'm struggling. Can we wait on God? When we think that God is delaying his justice, there's a faith very much at work, active and in motion. The daily moment-by-moment declaration of our souls that Jesus himself demonstrated, thy will be done, it's a daily thing. For some of you, you got out of bed this morning and you've been wrestling with some stuff and you literally got up and you woke up and you said, I just, I can't do this. For some of you, you went, back, went to sleep last night and you said, I can't do this anymore. I can't walk through this. I don't know how to move on. It's a daily thing. Daily, we have to remember the heart of God. Daily, we have to force ourselves to remember that. Daily, we have to carry our cries to the Lord. Daily, we have to go to God and understand that we have to wait on him. It's a daily thing. In fact, as we learn to wait on the Lord, we have the benefit of knowing the method by which God has ultimately carried out justice for us in Jesus, right? We know that. God did carry out justice on the cross. God did vindicate his cause through the resurrection. One writer puts it this way, lament, even without resolution, shows us how to uh, process the pains we experience and also points to a greater uh, moment in history that was still to come, a moment that solves our greatest problem. There was a time when the Son of God was under the wrath of God. There was a time when Jesus felt as if he was the hunted, the prey, like a lamb led to the, uh, to the slaughter. He knew no sin, yet he did not even open his mouth. In this moment of suffering and abandonment, Jesus turned to the Hebrew songbook and quoted Psalm 22. He cried out, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me or why have you forsaken me? And then, faithful to carry out justice. As it says in 1 Peter 2.24, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might uh, be dead to the sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you are healed. Amen? (laughs) That's good news, right? Jesus both lamented toward worship on the cross and provided the greatest motivation for our hope in lament, the cross. Jeremiah looked to to God's promises, a a compassionate restoration of a land, a people, and a blessed Messiah. He was confident of God's justice and presence. Though through the Spirit, 
he spoke of more than he even realized. While his generation waited quietly for a, a salvation of a nation, you and I have experienced the truth and reality of a larger kingdom of God. Jeremiah, while Jeremiah weeps, the Babylonians were likely still on their journey dragging slaves from Jerusalem back to their capital. Uh, one of the Babylonian slaves, um, Daniel, would one day see a vision of God's kingdom crushing all the kingdoms of the world that would come as it grew into a mountain of kingdoms that would never be destroyed. What Jeremiah didn't see fully yet as he chose to wait for God's justice was that God was never not faithfully advancing his greater rescue. And today, we get to look to the same God, compassionate, abounding in love. We get to look to his uh, great promises to us, the promises that he gives us. He promises to never leave us nor forsake us, Hebrews 13, 5. He promises to finish the good work he has begun, Philippians 1, 6. He promises to give us wisdom if we ask, James 1, 5. He promises that our salvation is secure no matter what, John 10, 28 through 29. He promises to come back making all things right, Luke 12, 40. Because Jesus died in our place and for our sin, repenting and believing on him alone, we're made just and alive to live for a faithful God. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.